Bitch in Berlin. Bitch in Berlin. What have I been up to this week? Let's find out. Look, I grew up in a small town where ordering nice cocktails would make you about as popular as the name Hitler, okay? It just wasn't really an option if you wanted a social life. And, you know, because of that, they didn't, so few places sold them anyway. So, you know, I just didn't learn about different drinks. I just knew that there were like a few types of beers and wine. I, I kind of thought that was it. I didn't know. And then I moved to the city and I found this really nice cocktail bar where you could like get two for one before a certain time and you could get two different drinks. And I used to drag all my friends there. I'm like, no, we just want beer. It's like, no, we are going here. And then you can have beer the rest of the night if you want to and I loved it um but I have to say I'm fed up with going into these expensive bars I I know that prices are high for rent blah blah it's not the price so much that annoys me it's the fact you have all these selections and I'm still learning and you, you ask straight away what do I want no sort of smile or like you know sign of what indication of special of the day or anything like that and you just look at me strangely because I don't know what I want straight away and I get a bit fed up with it because I want to learn but I also don't want to feel like an idiot on my night out I can only think of two people one's a place one's a person that don't make me feel like an idiot but I can still enjoy nice cocktails and that's the wandering barman and vine salon in Friedrichshain so check them both out I interviewed the wandering barman now so, yeah, let's take a listen. Yay, podcast, I'm excited. I know you seem, I'm quite surprised because you've been in comedy so long, I thought maybe you like get asked all the time because there's so many podcasts. No, not really. I've only done maybe two or three before. That's interesting. Yeah. Um, and I've done a few, so I've done, like I said, I've done Neil and he mentioned you and I think I've done Caroline a couple of times and she also mentioned you. I knew that you were like one of these people that came from like the start of yeah. when Berlin comedy sort of started. Pretty I much. guess. But did you do comedy before that? No. No, okay, so you yeah. So I came to Berlin eleven years ago. Okay. Then done like a, this worked in this Irish pub down the Europa Centre, the most horrible place you've <laughs> been in. Like no windows, just basement, like just a bunch of young people who had just moved to Berlin in like 2008, 2009. Okay. Uh, and then basically what happened was is I worked there for two years and I worked like a lot and really hard and saved up all my like uh, tips and like was putting away like loads of money aside. I ended up saving like quite a lot of money. Yeah. So I was able to take like nine months off work. Oh, wow. Then I found, so then in that nine months, I was doing all these little kind of things that I didn't really think that I would ever do. I found myself trying to create a magazine. Okay, wow. Uh, That's cool. Yeah, called Kartoffel. Kartoffel. Uh, Which potato. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And then, <laughs> uh, so that took me down a kind of road of like learning InDesign and Adobe and Photoshop and getting into like journalism and like taking photos. And then that kind of never, never really came to fruition and I actually was working for this magazine called Sand as a prose okay. editor. Do you know Sand? It's like a kind of, no. it's, it still exists actually. It's this. I was going to ask if you have any copies yeah. of Kartoffel. No, oh, oh, well there's one somewhere. Oh, but you wouldn't get rid of that one. Obviously, that and there's, it's 
somewhere, man. You I should, don't know. But you should actually... one of your shows, you should like see if you could auction it. I don't know, it's probably so sentimental you wouldn't even no, want to. No, but I've got it on a thing, but this actually shows you yeah. how old this actually shows you how long ago this was because I just noticed when you opened it, there's a flyer in here from Comedy at Sin. Oh so let me So so Sin was the first English comedy showcase night in Berlin. Oh wow, let me look it doesn't say the year, does it? But I don't mm. think so. I doubt it. No, but but does it have a lineup on it? it oh, um, no. Well, we've got Drew Portnoy. Drew Portnoy. I yeah, didn't yeah. Portnoy. Yeah. I didn't know he was around. Yeah, he was. That long. So I mean, it was like me. It was mostly Paul Salamone and this guy called Ray Malera, and then Drew, and then this girl Jacinta, and Summer Banks. And there's probably a few gems that I'm missing out on. Dave Deary, who's now in LA. And then, like, very shortly after, those guys kind of, like, kicked it off. Then it was, like, me and Caroline and uh, and Perry. Uh, oh, Perry's been around that long as Pasun. well. Perry is an interesting story, which I'm, I'm get, getting to. Oh, because, sorry. Okay. No, because you asked me, like, did I do comedy before this? And it's ah. a long, windy kind of... It was an Irish pub. Then I saved some money. Then I found myself doing all these little... Try to do these yeah. little magazines. Then I found myself in improv and I was doing okay. comedy sports for two years. And that's where I met Noah and Josh and Caroline. We were all doing improv together. And from that, that's where I found stand up because that right. led me into the kind of world of stage, which I'd never done before. Yeah. And funny enough, that's actually when I saw Perry perform because we were friends because yeah. we worked in the Irish bar together. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah, crazy uh, small world. It's so funny. So he was like, yeah, you should do it, you should do it. And I went to the Kookaburra Club. Uh, th- as far as I can remember, there was only three shows. There was this one, Sin, which you had you had to be invited to. Right. In order to get invited, you had to do Joe's Bar, which is up in Schoenhauser Alley, and that was an open mic run by Paul Salamone. Right. And if you've done well at that, they might invite you to do like a five, yeah. seven-minute bit at Sin. Wow. And then there was Summer's... Kookaburra open mic, so she done that up. She done that every Tuesday. So or was it Saturday? I can't remember. But I saw Perry do that. I went along to see his comedy. He asked me to go up. I thought that I could. I was looking at his stuff and I was kind of thinking, yeah, I could probably do that better. So I mean, I was going to say Perry asked if you want to go. That seems because uh, you got such a successful. Successful show. Yeah, I would have imagined it would be the other way around. Yeah, Maybe I should cut that bit out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, th- this I'm is write that down. I'm yeah. gonna take that out. <clears throat> this is going back nine years. So you know, Perry had maybe been doing comedy at this point for six months. So he was dabbling. You know, he was still still. You can progress a lot in six months, but yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. totally. But not Perry. <laughs> <laughs> so kind. Well, I don't know. Should we leave it in? Yeah, sure. Oh, okay. Okay, so I'll cross. Perry's came leaps and bounds, man. Perry's an absolutely hilarious guy. He just uh, somehow doesn't have his work ethic together. If he just concentrated, he'd be really amazing. I've only seen him a few times. Um, but I always so, tell this yeah. to him. I always tell this to him to his face. Like, I'm good yeah. friends with Perry. Like, I see him a lot. Okay, so that's fine. We can leave. Yeah, sure. Um, so, so that was recently, but that's interesting that we see sin, the sin, the sin flyer. Bring this flyer for one euro off. You don't see that on flyers anymore. Every first and third Thursday of each month, four euros, and three euros for students. That's cool, man. Was the shows normally 
um, price because now they're normally donations. Not like normally they're donations, yeah. But there's um, over the past year, I would say I've noticed like more and more like um, like paid uh, like like you know properly ticketed shows. Um, I done a show on Saturday. The three comedians, one mic up in Z Bar, um, and yeah, it was like twelve bucks. Yeah, you seem to, it's quite a jump when they jump. price it. Yeah. You know, it seems to be donation or about 10 Yeah. And like 15. Neil charges like, I think he's like 13, 14 euros at Cosmic. Oh, yeah. But his argument is they have pizza and they have free shots yeah. as well. And But I mean, his argument like is, is, is a good one in that, you know, he was actually probably the first, he was genuinely a, a fact, like the first person to say, guys, we need to stop this donation stuff. Because it's undermining everything, and then yeah, let, let's all do ticketed stuff. But you know, everyone's on this on, on different levels. Like Neil's really got his stuff together in terms of like a venue, and like he has got like a big old fan base, and he, he tries to get like the, the like really kind of top comedians. And then again, he's got like an and also sometimes well. you know you got a venue, and they wouldn't agree to price because then some people might just come in not wanting a show; they just want a drink, and That's then you right. have so. Yeah. We wouldn't get certain venues. Exactly. So, so it's very different yeah. from his, his venues, yeah. like his space, whereas it's not like some regulars coming into a bar and going, I don't want to see a comedy show in the bar. Yeah, exactly. Like, I have to pay 10 euros, like, I just want to drink. Sometimes it's hard enough <coughs> if it's like, you know, you go to shows and the bar is being too noisy and it's yeah. like, can we say something like no? That's right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so yeah. asking yeah. them to pay is yeah. not going to happen. These are my regulars, I'm not going to tell them to be quiet. Yeah, exactly. So... You have to work yourself out when it comes to shows. Um, but yeah, about the sand. So you, what did you do for this sand? So I'm in the content. That, that's not me. <laughs> that's not you. I'm, it's a so it's photo of a Berlin's small boy with English... a laugh. Yeah, Berlin's English Literary Journal. Oh, okay. So each, I think, was it? No, it wasn't every month. It was every, it was bi-monthly. And you can see like the, the design of each magazine is different. So this is like upside down and then it goes like back like oh, wow. the, the, the way I'm looking at it and stuff. So there was a lot of like um interesting designers involved in it. Yeah. And there was also this like sand creating writing course. Okay. And I'd done that for a while. Um which was like a six week course and you could do teach people creative writing. Because I studied creative writing at uni okay. for a little bit. And I've got uh, then you know, I started getting a lot more creative. I've got a lot of books, a lot of, a lot of kind of this stuff, like, you know, kind of like fiction books and stuff. But I was a, to answer your question, I was a prose editor. Chris Davis. Okay. Editor. Oh, nice. So I was basically in charge of, you know, there would be maybe like 250 applicants. Okay. Just for prose. Wow. And then there was like poetry and then there's like essays. So that was, poetry person was in charge of that. Mm. Uh, and all that kind of stuff. So I was in charge of prose. So I had to go through every couple of months, anywhere between 150 to 250 stories, read them all, pick three. Pick three, oh my God. And then like try and edit them down to so that they could fit within the word wow. count of what we wanted. And I would obviously do that with the author and the writer. I would do that on But I'd, I'd contact them and I'd say, congratulations, you've been picked. The, the the word count is like maybe 1,200 words. Yours is like 2,500. Right. Is there anything that you could do or want to do to take it, yeah. to, to cut it down? And if they said no, that was fine. And I'll move on to the, the next one, you know. That's so interesting. That must have been... That must have been hard to decide. It was really hard to decide because, you know, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of 
like fiction and, and prose anyway. So and it was really, it was really, um, interesting to see people's ideas. Just so many different ideas. Mm. Like all these people writing just little short stories, and some of them were established writers. Some of them had never been published before. So it was such a kind of mixture, and everyone that was all they were all very well written. You know, um. The ideas themselves were really good, but what always surprised me is that they were just always genuinely well written. Yeah, I was going to say, what was there? There wasn't a case of like most of them were actually rubbish. Most of Not them were really. good. Most of them were good. That made it like really difficult, you know. Yeah. But we always had a theme as well to which the applicants already knew. So, like maybe youth, for example, would be one of the. Okay. One of the things that so it would have to be a story about youth. You know? Okay. So if that was more closer to our right, okay. theme for that month, then there was more of a chance, you know. That's interesting. And then where did you go from that? From that, I um, went to. I was actually that for like a year and a half, so that took up a lot of my time. And then I was doing improv, and then I started the stand up, and then I left sand to focus more on stand up. Yep. And since then. I've really just done my stand-up, but always, always, always together with working in bars. Oh, it's always, you've always connected it with that? I've always connected, I've always done stand-up and bar work at the same time. Oh, I see what you mean. Yeah. Now I, I have combined the two, and now I don't really work in bars. I quit all my bar jobs in, like, March. To, oh, very recently. Yeah. Yeah. To do the ones in Barman full-time. I work in one bar once a week just to keep my toes dipped in that culture. Right. And also uh, for a bit of pocket money. But also mainly so that I actually have a place to experiment with drinks. Oh, with drinks. I thought you I thought maybe you meant jokes. On that the as well. That that as well. <laughs> that as well. Yeah. Because lots of people see that initial connection no with like with bar work and comedy yeah sure they, they can be like you're you're kind of your center stage you're the focus of attention uh you have to keep control of a situation which is essentially what bar work is yeah you need it's crowd control yeah like like i've always said this with people that want to like work in bars or whenever i've been looking for people to work in my bar yeah i've been like dude you know anyone can learn how to make a manhattan <laughs> anyone can learn how anyone can do that. It's like three or four ingredients in a glass. You, you know, you're yeah, you anyone can do it, but uh, yeah, to keep it like a crowd control element and like just keep it on a nice level and not let things go too crazy or too boring or that kind of thing. Uh, Chris is now going to talk more in detail about the wandering barman, yeah, yeah, <laughs> um, so. The Wandering Barman is a, a, a cocktail show and a stand-up comedy show. So it's essentially me as a barkeeper serving you drinks, serving cocktails to you, each person, um, as I tell jokes and tell stories about the bar world over the past 12 years and where I've worked and what I've learned and who I've met. And all the, the weird drunken experiences that other people have at bars and also that I've had in bars. So there's like an on-stage bar that I set up and I talk you through 
basically it's mostly about like kind of drunken stuff and drunken stories and and, and, and like jokes and I get a lot I talk a lot to the audience about their drunken stories uh, what their favourite drink is why they can't drink their worst drink what, <laughs> what their worst hangover was like what's the most embarrassing thing they've done like what mistakes did they make you know and they like it they like all that because it's I always say at the start of the show it's always like reverse alcoholics anonymous you know it's oh, kind of like, yeah that's it, a good yeah tagline because everyone is everyone is kind of sitting in a semicircle looking at me but we are telling a bunch of stories that that we're not going to judge you on you know and, and there should be no shame with um so that's essentially it man so I, you get like you get like two little cocktails during the show that are more like tasters but they're you know they're substantial and then at the end of the show i go to the bar the actual bar mm. where the venue is and I make everyone like a really proper cocktail that comes in a really nice like coupe martini glass. Yeah. And it's it, nice. I've been. So, yeah, yeah, And yeah. the drinks were really, really nice. Yeah, well, so. I mean, also a part of it, the the kind of, there's no learning aspect to it. There's no, I used to, I used to kind of pitch it as like a kind of workshop. Okay. Uh, learnings with stand-up comedy and that, that doesn't work like, I've noticed that in the past few months that it doesn't work. So I don't pitch it as that anymore. But what I do tell you is when I'm making the cocktails, I'm quite serious about it. Uh, the whole idea is that I want to show you how to make professional cocktails at home. Okay. You know, so I choose cocktails that don't have so much ingredients. Okay. That are easily, that you can find easily. Or even more so, you can make yourself, like, syrups and juices. Okay. So... These are all the things that you can do at home for, for, for like people at parties and stuff. I don't focus kind of too much on it, but nevertheless, part of the show is me making you two cocktails. So there's at least out of the hour, maybe 10 minutes worth of me actually, you know, showing you how to shake correctly, telling you what ice you should use, why you should use this bourbon instead of like a rye or why you should use, you know, a sweet vermouth instead of a dry vermouth. All these kind of little interesting things that, you know, you think that might not be important because you maybe don't have, you, you, you don't know it. But when you, when I explain it to you, you go, oh, okay. Knowledge. I like passing on knowledge. I like passing <laughs> no, on knowledge. No, that's cool, yeah. I like passing In on knowledge. In a relaxed environment. Yeah, where, where you're also like making people laugh. Yeah. I like that. Um, so I, because I saw it at Comedy Cafe, do you do it in other venues? I do. Um... Mostly comedy cafe. That's what I like to call my residency. Okay. Because uh, I've been there for three years. Okay. Doing it every month. Wow. Yeah. Which is awesome because I love it. I love the space. But now I'm since doing it full time. I've 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 branched. I've branched off into other places. Like I done it at the Dorf. Okay. Oh wow. Yeah. yeah. On the sixteenth of August last uh, last August, I done it in the Dorf. My next show is going to be at the Soho House. In, okay. uh, up in Torstrasse, up in the top bar, uh, where there's a swimming pool and it's all very fancy and chic. It's like a private thing though. Yeah, um, and then I do a lot of these kind of corporate events. So can someone book you? For sure. Oh, please. Yeah, that's 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 that absolutely. <laughs> okay. Because the the ticketed events that I do. I do them few and far between, but they're usually a little showcase for other people that are interested in booking me, you know? Okay. So I invite, to the ticketed events, mm. I usually invite a lot of people down for free. 
Oh, I see, okay. So that they can just get an idea and then they go, yeah, that would work for our company. Why don't you come and do something for our uh, Christmas party or our birthday party or whatever it is? And I guess the easiest way to find out, keep updated of shows, is the Wandering Barman website. Yes, wanderingbarman.net. Yeah, I would definitely the, put that on the description. Yeah, yeah. the wanderingbarman.net. Because I know you're also on Facebook and I was, I didn't, but the one the website would be the best. That's the place yeah. for that's your one stop shop for <laughs> your videos and reviews and shows and cool. information and tickets and contact details and all that. Yeah. Yeah. And it's really fun. I remember it. Yeah. Yeah, cool, man. I'm glad you enjoyed it. Yeah. When was that? That was when Molly left. Oh, yeah. So that oh. was like a year ago. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So you had her, it was nice. I think you had some videos, didn't you? Yeah. Yeah, you showed some little videos. I did, yeah. Yeah. And, um, I was, um how do I put this? Uh, I've got two choices. I like to I, I Okay, I'll do it this way. So I remember there was like a time where it was um, very popular for like the bartender to be very fancy in how they mix drinks yeah. and I was and I don't know if that's still popular so I thought that that's the sort of thing I mean has bar culture changed in the last sort of 10 years like what people want from a bartender yeah, I mean I don't know if it over the 10 years but it certainly changed over a long period of time particularly now right you've got these more kind of uh, avant-garde so to say like kind of really mega cocktail uh, places you know okay. where, where you're getting like um where you're getting uh, amazing, really high-end, really high-quality alcoholic mm. uh, cocktail drinks made with like really fine alcohol and made with a lot of knowledge and a lot of talent behind it. Um, the I had this conversation about four years ago with a good friend of mine. We were both barkeepers. And it was like, why do you come to a bar? Is it for the company or is it, or is it for a drink? And I was like, it's the drink. Obviously, it's the drink. And he was like, nah, man. And he's older than me. He's had a couple of bars and stuff. Ooh. So he was trying to kind of tell me, nah, man, you've got it wrong. Like, you can have a good drink. You don't need to make bad drinks. But the reason people come back to a bar is the the barkeeper knows you. He's friendly yeah. to you. He'll talk to you. He'll make you feel welcome. And essentially, a public house where there's other people. And he wants to just feel a little bit looked after. And if you do that you're going to have a successful business or bar because people are going to come back. An extra little kicker to that is when, you've, when you're making good drinks. So I, you know, as, as, as much as a horrible answer it is, I think both. <laughs> I think, like, you have to make a good drink, but there's so many people that go to bars that make terrible, terrible drinks or simply just have really bad beer and no cocktails and maybe, like, shots and some some like cheap wine but people will always go back because they just like the company there i want to add something that's an idea i have i never worked in a bar mm-hmm. but i go to bars yeah. <laughs> so i would say if you serve nice drinks you're more likely to have nice regular customers yeah okay <laughs> i'm not sure i've i've been i've worked in really fancy restaurants and serving probably the most expensive cocktails that I've ever served. And, you know, those people were complete douchebags. <laughs> well, I <laughs> mean, just in, in combination, if, the, like, if it feels like you said, like a public house, like if you, I don't know, that's my experience. If, if it's like a place where it just sells really cheap 
shots and uh, beers. You're you, just going to get like touristy people. Your clientele are going to be kind of rowdy. And, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so, maybe. But... but to be fair, I don't go to these really expensive bars, so I couldn't comment. I'm not commented on that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I've, yeah. Just, I've, just, I've just been in so many places with so many douchebags. Maybe everyone's just a douchebag. Maybe that's the problem. Maybe, maybe everyone, yeah. Maybe everyone's just a douchebag until they get like a little drink in them or something. But I have more fun working where I. I have more fun working at where I work now, which is called Mini Bar. It's it's a little dive bar. It's open really late. Uh, we do cocktails, but it's not like mega mega fancy stuff. As opposed to working in like this kind of Michelin star restaurant thing, yeah. where it was fun and I learned tons, uh, but it's not like you're not connecting with the type of people that you want to connect with. Yeah, I mean, you also get like punk bars. Yeah, man, that's what I'm talking about. And, and those, those guys, yeah, and those are always full. You yeah. walk in there and ask for a Manhattan, pff, you're yeah. going to get a slap across the face. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So. And those are all yeah. cool people. No, they're, they're great. I love punk bars. So I just remember there's those two. Interesting culture. Um, do you still do like open mics? Because you've got your kind of wandering barman. Yeah. Do you, but I don't know, like you have stuff you want to try out, so do you still do them? Yeah, for sure. Um, not as often uh, as I should, but like, you know, any comedian that is like uh, serious about their content and what they write, they should be hitting the open mics like all the time. Like any, any professional that you, you listen to on a podcast, any, any interview that you watch, they're hitting it hard all the time with their content material, honing their routine. So you have to do that, man. I at the moment I'm I'm quite I'm quite bad for uh writing at home and being a recluse for a very long time. Okay. And I write and I rehearse and I work out the jokes and I, I try and figure out what's funny. Um and it takes me Many weeks, something of, okay, like often months. If I want to write like a new twenty minutes, okay, yeah, or like like a half hour, right? I done it not that I done it not that long ago for Simone and Ben's show Go West, um, back in March. Yeah, I done like a or was it maybe April? I think it may have been April that I done like a brand new half an hour that I'd never even taken. Oh wow! I had never taken straight to Go West. Just straight to Go West, wow. like headlining spot half an hour. And that's kind of how I work. And okay. that is definitely, um, I don't know if I would, that's how I work. And I, I don't think there's any comedian that I know that would, that would advise working that way. Because yeah, like, I also see the failure in working that way. And that is a really good night on at Go West, that 30 minutes. But then when you try and break that back down and to take in any of that material to an open mic, it doesn't work quite as well as it did on the night because you haven't honed it mm. you haven't like taken it to all these open mics and, and worked on it for a couple of weeks actually on stage yeah which is kind of where it should be getting worked out whereas i do it in reverse so rather than build up to my half an hour i write my half an hour and then i work back down right okay that's interesting yeah which is really weird i have no idea why i do that it was it's, it's really not intentional i think actually i mean have you tried it the other way yeah of course that's how i kind of that's how yeah. i started you know that's how that's how I've done yeah, it. Yeah, of course, first, yeah. I mean, that's how I've done it for the first like three, four, five years. And then hit year number five, I started doing the Wandering Barman. And that was like, and then I started doing all these solo shows. So I was okay. doing like one hours. Oh, wow, okay. I, yeah. And I was traveling with the one yeah. hours. So um, 
I could work out a lot of, you can work out a lot of material in an hour. You've got your, your strict kind of like lineup and your, your, your set list that, okay, you, that, yeah. you, that you want to do. But there's always like maybe 10, 15 minutes here and there that you can be like just working out new stuff. Okay, and yeah. It's it's so camouflaged and among everything else that if you're lucky, like no one will really notice that you're you're working in like brand new material because you've built up the audience so much with all your your A yeah. material. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That they're like, oh man, it's like yeah. it's just his A material, but you're cheeky and it's cheating, <laughs> and you're chancing your luck because it's not. But that's I think that's where I started falling out of the kind of open mic scene because I was like, oh well, I can just do it. Mm. I don't need to do this. I don't need to be under pressure with this six minutes, five minutes, seven minutes, which for me is so much harder to do than like 20. Um, so I was able to just do it and then I kind of fell away from the open mic scene. And by the time that happened, I was doing The Wandering Barman. So I could just, whenever I was writing new stuff, I would just be writing it at home and then testing it out at The Wandering Barman. Yeah, that's interesting. That is which, is also, which is also like a cheat because it's like... <clears throat> you know, it's much harder in a club environment at an open mic because they've got like eight different people and not everyone's there to see you. No. Whereas at the Wandering Barman, everyone's there to see me. Yeah. So I get away with it. It's a little bit cheeky because I get away with it a little bit more because they want to see me anyway. Yeah, exactly. Um, or they, you know, you haven't just had some comedian that's made the audience be like, oh, we feel weird now. <laughs> you yeah, know? You don't have to it, worry about that. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> and where I squeeze in, the where I squeeze in the the new material at the Wandering Barman is always like half an hour, forty minutes into the show. Yeah, sure, of course. So yeah. you've kind of already got them on your side. Which is a really bad habit, man. I'm not condoning that behaviour at all, but it seems to work for me. So No, but it's it's just no like studies have shown that like people remember the start and the end more of anything. However yeah. short it is, even if it's like a five minute Yeah. People that's how people our memory works. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, of course, that's where you're going to put it. You know? It is, man. You're going to put the, the, kind of, <laughs> the, the kind of chance in your luck stuff, uh, you know, when when they're like putty in your hand, when you've kind of got them on board with everything that you're saying, you know. And even if you do lose them at that point, as you quite rightly said, you can still finish strong. You can still and leave finish a lasting, strong. And leave a lasting impression. I think people need, you know, an hour's actually quite long, you know. Like, I was it thinking, is. when I started doing comedy thinking actually there's not many comedians I'm happy to watch for a whole hour yeah you know there's a lot where I'm like 10 minutes good but then I watch that hour I'm like mm, I kind of want to cut off at like 20 for some reason and mm-hmm. often I'm really bad at like, like just attention spans <laughs> like when it comes to like comedy you know like I, I, I seem to like dip in and out yeah of, even if it's like a 20 minute bit I've kind of been really concentrated for five minutes then I find myself like losing track and thinking about something else for a minute or two and I'm like oh fuck oh, I'm watching this like oh yeah and then I get back into it and I'm it's difficult I think so by like 40 minutes people probably are starting to slow down their memory any you know like yeah. their attention yeah anyway so it's a good time to try I mean maybe it's not a good time to try stuff because it's actually harder but in the sense of like how they will feel afterwards you know yeah it's I the mean, best time I think but you can you can arrange your material to go with the attention span so when the room is low mm. that's maybe a good time to talk about stuff that is quite like like um uh like not necessarily mega mega funny but like quite complicated stuff 
and you're trying to make it funny, but it's a like bit really, more personal, a maybe. bit more personal, or yeah. a bit more intellect, or yeah. a bit more kind of like social or political. Yeah, getting other ideas out there that you wouldn't take to like a 10 15 minute bit. No, but when everyone's like, okay, we're not laughing anymore, but that's really interesting. I'm still exactly, engaged, yeah. I'm still concentrated. I never really thought about that. And then you bring it back with like a big laughter, that kind of thing. I just remembered, I was looking at some stuff about you, and uh, right. most of what I found was Wandering Barman. Right. Obviously, but I also was looking at your the school you were in. Right. Weird. Because <laughs> I, I, first of all, I thought you said Cumberland. Right. So I was like, I thought you were Scottish. Yeah. So, and then it was, but it, Cumberland. Cumberland, yeah. And it was like a new town. It's a new and town. And then your school looked really interesting. It, it said some stuff about your school that I didn't know what the words were and then I looked at the website and it was like it's LGBT approved was it was so I, I wanted to ask and I was like did you have this really like you know sort of it sounded like you it gave me the impression that you grew up in this town that was very small but also trying to be very liberal and I was like, I've never heard of a place like that so I don't know what was your do you mind talking about your upbringing of course <laughs> I don't mind um so come on old is one of the suburbs of Glasgow. Okay. Right, it's about maybe, I don't know, 15, it's like 20 minutes right on the bus. And the town is, if I'm not mistaken, roughly like 100, like it's about 80,000 people. Okay. So it's a kind of big town, but it's it's mostly, especially when I was growing up, completely residential, right? There's okay. There's like one mega town centre. Okay. Where that's where all your shops are and there's a couple of things and... The rest is like residential areas and bars and everyone does their stuff in Glasgow. So they work in Glasgow, they go to right, the cinema okay. in Glasgow, they go out to clubs in Glasgow, they go to bars in Glasgow, they go to restaurants in Glasgow. So um, in my so about Cumberland, it was built in like the, the late 60s, 66 I think it was, by this uh, apparently French architect whose whole, he, apparently he took like a lot of LSD. And if you've ever been to Cumberland, you might know why. Like the whole concept, the architectural urban architecture uh, behind it was like um, no pedestrians should have to meet traffic. So it's all like bridges and tunnels and there's no traffic lights and there's only roundabouts. So basically it was a big safe space where you could just roam free and do your thing, which is a really cool concept. And was it that? Yeah. Oh, it was? It, wow, it, it actually was. It is wow. that. When you were coming out, it's like roundabouts all over the place, and it's like tunnels and bridges. In the past, like, maybe 10 to 15 years, there's been more and more and more traffic lights put up. But those were kind of brought in, not by, like, councils. Those were brought in by, like, Tesco and Asda supermarkets, mm. who, by law and safety regulations, needed to have, like, traffic lights at the okay. pedestrian crossings and shit like that. And then it kind of spiralled. But Cumbernauld is renowned for being like a terrible, horrible, poor place. So it got voted back in like 2010, like like the second worst, the second worst town in all of Great Britain. Like, okay. Like Hull was number one. And, okay. then, and then this came. I'm sure it's not that anymore, but it, it, those, it was called that because it was based on, it was based on kind of like social numbers of like, Similar to like, uh, like poverty, drug use, alcohol use, diet, like where it was situated, uh, kind of home ownership, GDP, that kind of stuff. So basically, all that was really low. So growing up in Cumberland, 
I wouldn't really say it was so lib like it wasn't the most like like liberal or like it just sounded really progressive when I was looking at stuff my, up. I think my my old school was like it was like in a non-denominational school, so like no Protestant, no Catholic, like okay. specifically. And in Glasgow, there's loads of those schools, you know. Okay. So we didn't have like a uniform, and in Glasgow, that's like quite a, a thing. You have to like, okay. a, you, like when you're in Glasgow, you see people walking about in like blazers and and like uh, ties and you know like uniform. I always wasn't really like that. We had like what's called the special unit or something. I don't think it was really called that, but it was also had like a, an official name. But there was like people with learning difficulties. We had like, okay, a, like yeah. a, a whole area with people with learning difficulties, but we would all mingle during oh, the, nice. like, at playground time, yeah. at, at break time and stuff. And sometimes in the later years, they would even be in the classes with us oh, to nice. try and get a little bit more yeah. integrated into kind of society before leaving kids. But I did hear about this LGBTQ thing like a couple of years ago that they maybe. It was maybe like some sort of certificate that like they were like, yeah, we are LGBTQ plus friendly or whatever it is. But it wasn't something when I was at school. Okay. But, and it actually, uh, like last week got demolished, my school. Oh, oh my God. Yeah. Do you know why? Yeah, they built a new one. They built oh. a new one. <laughs> yeah, but my school was called Commonwealth High School. And then it changed to like, I think Commonwealth Academy. Like maybe ten. Years oh, that's ago. what I read. So yeah, maybe, oh, okay. Maybe so. like ten years ago that happened, and then yeah. since then they've kind of built up. So what I think has happened is that, um, the the schools just kind of got a little bit, like better, you know, like they've got like the grades have went higher. They integrated mm. with a couple other schools. I don't know. Maybe exam results got higher and higher, so they were awarded with a, or they were given the at least allowed to have this credential as like an academy. It's interesting because my school was made to academy, but it wasn't knocked down. So it was um, knocked down, and there was yeah. a new common old academy built just next to it, and right. on the same piece of land, essentially. Okay, yeah. yeah. So, do you know the difference? To what it's like an academy, though, is that it's. I think it was just like they had to pick a subject that they were particularly good at studying, and they could excel. And then at they that. got money for it. Right. I don't know. I, I I so it happened kind of in my last year of school. So. I saw afterwards that they had loads of, they built more stuff, but I don't actually know what it's like inside, so that's all I can tell you. Yeah, yeah, okay, you know, fair enough. So. <laughs> no, I mean, coming on high, I never really had any problems, but I mean, it was a bit of a rough, a bit of a rough place, it was cool, it was like, it's what, I mean, there was, you know, it was the type of place where in the changing rooms someone would get their deodorant can and a lighter and try and flamethrower you. Oh, wow. <laughs> that kind of stuff, you know. And you would be getting kicked in the bottles a lot, just for the fun of it. Yeah. Because that was like laddish kind of culture, that kind of thing. Right, you know? okay. That was the kind of general... But I don't remember, like, everyone was kind of uh, fine in its own way, you know? Like, no one was... I don't remember, like, any heavy, crazy bullying of gays and stuff. Like, we had some homosexuals in our year. Okay. Um, and, yeah, they were... They like, felt fine being open about it. Open, no, but you could kind of, like, they didn't go around shouting about it, right, but when okay. you were friends with them, it was right, okay. clear that they were fighting themselves, and okay. the more and more they'd done that, the more they were getting into realising that they were okay, into yeah. the same sex, you know? And, yeah, both 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 girls and boys, that was, that was kind of cool, and kind of people just left them alone, you know? Yeah. People were more interested in, like, if you were too macho or too aggro. That, that was more of a kid. What, what do you mean by interested? After. Like you'd be popular? Or? No, they were more interested in kind of like 
making sure that you weren't going to be that. Oh, okay. They would leave the kind of the timid ones right, and, okay. and the kind of ones that maybe felt humiliated or didn't right, really okay. get involved with everything more alone. Right. And it was more like if you were trying to be someone even close as a resemblance to the actual bully, i.e. good at tennis, good at football, That's maybe get maybe getting some girls, being stronger than them, yeah. but also having a fight with someone, they'd be like, no, he can't. He can't yeah. get anywhere near my level. Whereas the, whereas the people that were like maybe discovering themselves or... Let's face it, in school you have so many different like subcategories of cultures, oh. don't you? There's the, the fucking, there's, I don't know, there's like emos, there's marshals, there's punks, there's... They were never really interested in all that, you know? That's true, that's true. From my I experience. remember being told a lot, like, oh, once you leave school, you'll be like, these were the best days of my life, you'll realise. And I was like, and still haven't. Yeah, <laughs> Like, no I don't know what people you, were saying. I think it's just a way to make school children shut up. Maybe, or maybe back in the 50s and 60s, school was awesome. I, or, I would be surprised they used to cane people. Yeah, true. So, <laughs> so that only leads me to believe that like the actual real world outside life was horrible. Whereas maybe we've got way, we, I wish we do, we have way more choice. I think it's we. also, it could just be rose-tinted, you know, people like, oh, back in my day. And like what, when yeah. there was like, you know... Yeah, food was rationed. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah. Back in my day when food was rationed and domestic violence was a thing. Oh, you can't eat it. Yeah, exactly. I think it's just those people. Um, Maybe that was just a, a projection of their own kind of, like, I had more fun at school than I do now. Tra- There's so many theories to why people might say... and having you as a child... Yeah. Or maybe they were the bullies. I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> you know? maybe. Maybe your own parents were the ultimate bullies at school, and they had. Oh, my just... mom never said it. My mom. Yeah. My mom hated school. Yeah, I wasn't a fan of school. I liked school, but I never learned anything at school. Really, I mean, really, I was. I can't say like, you know, I was unintelligent or anything like that, but I was just so not interested in anything that they were trying to tell me. I would always be talking to my friends in class. Always. Were you the um, the school clown? Uh, you could say so, yeah. Because I was even given that title in like the prom book. Right, thing. okay, yeah. <laughs> uh, I was always having a laugh, but I was also distracting people. And I, I, I regret that, man. I was always distracting so many cool, intelligent people by just like talking nonsense and just distracting them from their work. Mm. And they were probably like, dude... Man, I'm not, I don't come from a family like you, man. My parents are expecting me that I get an A in this. Yeah. You know, can you just shut up and let me go on with my yeah. work? <laughs> Probably. And I'm oh, just man. like, yeah, so who, who's, who's your football, who, who's your teammate at football at lunch? I hate yeah. football. <laughs> yeah, totally. I'm not even playing football. Yeah. I just want to read books. Leave me alone. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, so you were saying, like, so they didn't allow protestants or catholics or just they didn't teach it no the non-denomination school is you're all, everyone's allowed in We're, oh okay so yeah, it wasn't we, either of those no, no. but, in, so, but in, in glasgow you, there's only there's like there certainly used to be it was particularly in the 80s and the 70s and the 60s and stuff like predominantly, predominantly catholic schools okay you know and like predominantly protestant schools like if you were a protestant you couldn't go to that school or if you're a protestant it was very unlikely that you would go to that school that's interesting. I didn't realise... Um, is it the whole of Scotland or is that a Glaswegian No, that's thing? particularly Glasgow. Okay. Yeah. And is it still like that? Is it still very religious? I'm not really sure. It's very religious, yeah. I'm okay. not sure if there's just 
I'm actually not sure if there's still just Catholic schools or just Protestant schools. I would hope that they've become a lot more progressive than that and like sectarianism isn't still quite embedded in the education system as it always was, which means that, you know, as a consequence of that, you get sectarianism out in the streets mm. at football matches. Um, I would hope now that that wasn't really the case, you know. I always remember, like, uh, starting a new school in... Uh, I think it was maybe primary seven or something, and I was asked that question by the head teacher when I was filling out the application form with my mum. I'm sorry to ask, but is are you Protestant or Catholic? That's crazy. And I don't really think it would have mattered in that moment, but he nevertheless had to mark it an X on a bit of paper. Yeah. So I had to ask the question, you know. That's an interesting one. Oh, I've never like in England I I don't think for my parents' generation as well. Those schools are very rare. Like, yeah. Yeah, so I was quite surprised when you said that. Yeah, yeah. no, that's definitely a thing, man. That's definitely a thing. I mean, if you were Irish, that wouldn't, but... I mean, that's where, all, <laughs> yeah, that's, so... that's where it all comes from, isn't it? There was, like, a huge influx of Irish people in the, mm. this, the kind of early 1800s, uh, well, more kind of mid-1800s, mid and that's where it all came from. All the kind of... All the Scottish Protestants against all the Irish Catholics. Mm. Yeah, religion. Yeah, I don't know. And so, <laughs> yes, like, yeah. I wasn't brought up religious. Like, I got christened, but that was just because my nana would have got moody. Yeah. If I hadn't have been, so it was just to shut my nana up. Social, like, so, like social politics within family. Is yeah, like, is but it, I never, is, they never took me to church. Like, I go to the church. There's weddings or, you know, a reason to go to a church, and then I hate it. I, I, oh yeah, man, like <laughs> ch- church is like one of the strangest things, man. Like. I I was you know I'm I'm Protestant on paper, but I've never ever practiced mm. uh, being a Protestant or, but I was I went to, like a uh, Christian church, God I can't because you know there's a there's a whole kind of range of different Christian churches there's like, there's different no. kind of Christian <laughs> like really to anyway, be honest yeah. so out of it. <laughs> well, there's like, you know, uh, I can't remember for life me and the names of them, but I went to. For a, a brief period in life to a Christian church and it was quite an eye-opener. Mm. It was my auntie and uncle would take me to that. Uh, it was a little moment in life where there was like uh, people in my family seemed a little lost mm. and then like my auntie and uncle kind of took us on board and were like, come here, meet some people, this is a community, uh, maybe God will help you. Um, okay, yeah. No, God will help you. Yeah. Like, convinced <laughs> that would be the case. But that was a very interesting experience, man. I don't. We. It was only my mum and I that went, and we didn't go for very long. In my head, it seems like months. It could have been a year, but we would go every weekend, and it was like one of these kind of Christian, like <laughs> denominations, if you would call it that. It would speak in tongues. You know? Oh wow! Yeah. And that was a That's really, really scary. How old were you? And, uh, I was about ten, nine, ten, eleven. Okay. Yeah. You go to high school when you're about twelve, no, eleven, twelve. Oh, I can't remember. Yeah, you go to high school when you're about eleven, twelve in Scotland, anyway. So I was. This was just before. So this was like the like around nine or ten. Okay. Yeah, and, and seeing a bunch of adults, all two hundred of them, like kind of all with their hand up like in a kind of cultish um 
what do you call it? Like not when you're Mano? Yeah, like transposed. You're kind of you know, you're under a spell, you know. Yeah. That's what it felt like, man. They were all like eyes closed, head up, arm raised, all speaking this apparently this what what dead language that the people the, the I mean I've never spoke. heard it, but yeah, tongues, I think. I always thought that's a nice word for it. Yeah. You know? Um very interesting language. But it, so what is it? They're connecting with the dead? So I, I don't, they're connecting with Jesus, the soul of Jesus. Okay, right. Yeah. The, 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 yeah, the, the direct kind of communication with Jesus through the soul or something. <laughs> I mean, and they do... Is, is it that where they do the thing of, like, the power of Christ? It was not the, far off, man. It was not oh, far it's off. Not, it but it's not, not that. It's not that. Oh, okay, No, no. Right. It's not when you're up on stage... But that does kind of happen as well. Okay. It's not quite like evangelical kind of like America. But, okay. Uh, you know, like, you will walk. And uh, there's like a person in a wheelchair like standing up and it's just some poor person in a wheelchair like being like, you know, with their arm around a, a pastor and like you just see their legs dangling and the pastor's like, you can walk, you can walk. And the poor guy's like, I can't walk. Stop. Yeah. Stop picking me up. Um, oh, but wow. I remember seeing that on the... On the kind of on the podium, like people would be, you know, hands would be on hearts, and it would be like you know trying to like get this, the 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 direct soul of Christ into you. That happened to me, but it happened to my mom apparently. That's interesting. It's um, it sounds like hypnotism, really. It kind of is, man. Yeah. Well, it's like a form of like, you know, manipulation. These uh, these these uh, these churches. It's all manipulation. It's all kind of like you got to keep up appearances for the Joneses, you know. That you've got to like donate money, um, donate mm. your time, uh, donate your faith, and you know if you kind of lack behind on that a little bit, man, you're under pressure, which is complete manipulation. You're not really allowed to be who you are. You have to be someone in the eyes of the rest of the church, yeah, in order for it to work, which is quite a an ironically sad thing for what religion actually stands for, you know. Yeah, it's interesting. Did you did you come straight from Cumbernaut to Berlin? No, I, I went from uh, I studied for four years in Aberdeen. Okay. Yeah. Um, and then from Aberdeen to here. Okay. So I finished my studies when I was about twenty two. Okay. <coughs> tried to, <coughs> pardon me. Tried to save money very quickly. Because I knew I wanted to come to Berlin, and I think I graduated in like May or something, April or May, I don't know. And then I tried to get a job and save as much money as I could because I wanted to get here as quick as possible. And I ended up working in like Tesco Cafe oh, wow. <laughs> for when I was like twenty two. Okay. And yeah. For like I think up for four months, I was there for four months. Okay. And I remember being twenty two, and I was the most miserable person you could have fucking met because. I'd just finished uni, I'd all these grand ideas, my mind had been opened through like, you know, good conversations, open-minded people, open-minded lecturers, right. you know, and education, psychedelic drugs, <laughs> um, and I just found myself in this very closed environment with like quite right-wing ideas back in Cumbernauld. With like people, right. people who were working in a cafe who were lovely, but you could see that they had no ideals to progress yeah. in either that environment or yeah. like kind of geographically even. 
and that didn't sit well with me because I thought I was going to get sucked in. I thought, like, being surrounded by this energy, I was going to get sucked in. You know, I was really sad. I was just frying sausages and making people <laughs> breakfasts, and I had a hairnet on with a baseball cap and, a, and an apron. Was there literally tears in the sausages? Yes, it was sausage tears. <laughs> the soup was mainly anxiety and dread for the future. Um, right. But I always remember... I was, what did, what did one guy say to me, man? I was under stress. I was kind of working the place alone. It got a little bit busy. And I can't remember particularly what this guy said, but the guy was just like, I was at the, I'd served him his food. He had his little tray. He was walking up the other side of the milk machine. I went down to the, the cash, the till. And I was like, I'm cashing him out. And he was like, um... He said something like, "So, what do you, what do you need most, or what, what do you, what, what have you lost most, or what do you need most?" And I was like, "My soul." <laughs> I just looked at him and I said, "My soul." And this guy just laughed because he just didn't expect. He just had his chips and gravy and his cola, and he was just like, "All right, man." Then I kind of was like, "Yeah, things need to change." So yeah. that's when I moved to Berlin. Man, I was kind enough to have parents who were like, "You know what, man, go." And. Um, had you like read about Berlin? Like where? What made that be the place that you were like? I have to go there. I because I met a girl. Oh right, okay. It was a girl. <laughs> yeah, it was all it was all a girl was uh, uh, doing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I met her, Annika, at uh, Aberdeen. We were in the same class together, yeah. and we just totally had it off. We just totally both kind of fell in love with each other, and she was in the year above or yeah. whatever it was yeah. that she disappeared back to Germany to finish her last year at uni. Oh, so she is German? She is German. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, sorry. Yeah, she is German, so she was over for like a year. Yeah. And then she went back, and then she was actually studying in this place called Paderborn. Um, and uh, I went, and we done a long distance thing for a while. Okay. And that, that was cool. I went to Paderborn a few times. She came back to uh, Aberdeen. And then she said, look, when I finish, I'm moving to Berlin. Yeah. And I was like, can I come? And she was like, sure. Oh, and nice. coincidentally, I had two friends, two good friends of mine who had just moved to Berlin. So they were here for like three months and then I moved over and we hung out and I was with Annika and then a few years later we broke up, which is kind of normal. Let's put some lights on, sorry. Oh, welcome to what you're doing. Yeah, sorry. I thought maybe you were getting some photos or something. Oh, right, no, sorry. I was just putting <laughs> no, some lights cool, on. No, it's cool, it's cool, yeah. Uh, so yeah, that was the reason why I came, yeah. Um, and it sounds like it was the best decision you ever made. <laughs> it was. It, well, it kind of was. Yeah. I mean, without... I mean, how far back do you go, you know, like, with how the consequences of life take shape? But if it wasn't for Annika, like, I would... Uh, I wouldn't have found comedy or improv or bar the bar world. Yeah. I don't know. I wouldn't have been, like... I wouldn't have all this knowledge and, like, cocktails and stuff, but then... Maybe if I didn't ever go to Aberdeen, I wouldn't have met Annika. So how far back do you go? You know, you can go back forever. You can. But yeah. basically, yeah, I give credit where it's due. Uh, coming to Berlin was definitely, definitely one of the better decisions that I made. Otherwise, you might be still teary eggs. I could be still, I could be the manager of Tesco Cafe. <laughs> and quite frankly, it's probably a much easier job than doing stand-up full-time. Oh, well, yeah. <laughs> So, That's a fair point. <laughs> yeah. But I'm much happier doing stand up full time. So. Yeah. And have you got like things 
you're working on for the future? Because it, it sounds like you you kind of got your your thing going and it's going really well. So <laughs> is it like this is it and I'm settled? Or you know you got... what, mate? That's a good question. <laughs> that is a good question, and thanks for asking. Because like um, it's something I've been toying with okay. like, for a while in my own head. I really love the wandering barman, and I think it's a really good concept because no one else is doing it. <laughs> and that has always been my kind of thing in life. No one else is doing it. I've always been drawn to those things. Mm. Stand-up comedy, no one else was doing it. Now kind of everyone is. <laughs> uh, improv, no one else was doing it. Like the, and, and my circle of people. Yeah. Um, so, uh, you know, I'm doing these things first. You know, I knew no actors. I knew no people that done, like through my family or anything, that done stage stuff. Um, so... It was all very new for me, man. It was always like kind of like finding something and building something just for me. I'd say I'm quite independent that way. But then when stand-up comedy started becoming a little bit too popular, yeah, I think my ego got a little bit too big, and I went, no, I want to do. I think something. I want to do something else. I want to do something that someone's not doing. Yeah. And then that is pretty much where the wandering barman uh, stemmed from. I wanted to do a show that wasn't just one person and a microphone. So. I'm going to continue doing it just now um, because I've, I've not given it much of a chance. Like, since March, I mean, that's only, what, I don't know, 10 months or something? Less than that, eight months. So I'm going to give it, like, a good two years of, okay. like, hardcore, full-time work and we go with us. Uh, and, you know, we'll see where I am then. Okay, I'm yeah. going to, I'm quite happy to be broke for a while. I've been more broke, been way more broke than what I am now, and for me that is success, because if I can still pay my rent, yeah, and if I can still eat, and you know I can still put maybe something aside each month, then for me I'm I'm living off my art, man. Like that is like the that is success. I don't. That's the dream. That is the dream. Yeah. You know, sure. and when you find yourself living it, and then. You're like, and then you start to question it. You gotta be careful with that, you know. You gotta be like, you can't be like, oh, but I'm not getting it. I'm not getting it all right now. It's like, man, chill. Like you're you're making some money from your art. You're your own boss. You're not working for anyone. You're being creative in in so many different ways. Um. So yeah, like see see how it goes. You know, I need I need to reach I need to reach some particular milestones in my overall business plan. Uh, and once I can get closer to reaching them then I'll be a bit more settled okay cool yeah yeah oh nice but so far so good man I mean yeah yeah bye see you next Tuesday bitch in Berlin you can contact me at noseofwax noseofwax at gmail.com okay so it's on Uh, I mean, shouldn't even need A4, just a scrap of junk paper, whatever. Pencil or pen? Um, pen. Yeah. Great. Okay, cool. Great, okay. here, I'm going to close this window. Mm. Right down the middle. Yeah, some guys did some construction on my, <laughs> my house right now and I'm not finishing it. So, what, you, you're having work done on your house? Basically, there was a leak all the way oh, down no. here. Yeah, and then now, like, they've kind of patched it all up, but they still have to paint it. 
and uh, yeah, they just they don't seem to be coming to do that. Yeah, how long has it been like that? Three weeks. Three weeks. Which I mean, don't get me wrong, it's not like yeah, it's not like something that's like oh my god, like kind of first world problems and stuff. But I guess no, it's a bit of shit that I have to be paying the full rent. Uh, when I can't really I mean, utilise all this space, which I usually do, this is usually where my desk is. Oh, okay. I've got all the light, it's kind of affected the kind of writing and shit. But, but so they, they fixed here. the main problem straight away. It took like, a, like two weeks to fix the main problem. So yeah. you had to move out? If it was, was it so bad you had to move out? No. Okay. No, but no, you're going to no. sit there. If you're going to sit there, then yeah. I'll move the. Yeah, I'm going to sit here. So the recorder's like there, so. Right, okay, cool. So if I. Where are you guys Yep, sure. So you're just going to be asking a bunch of questions? Uh, kind of, yeah. It's, it's, it's more like a conversation. It normally ends up being. Everyone's different, though. Some people give very short answers, and then it does all look like a real interview. Right, okay. But, uh, like, with Neil, I think I asked, like, two questions, and it was yeah, an hour and a half. Went... <laughs> That's so new, man. Oh, man. Yeah, so... Everyone's What's different. your preference, though? No, because I want it to be, like... Because I, I then use it to advertise like people's shows. So I'll yeah. put it on like the event page. So it's like if you like the sound of the person on the interview. So it should sound like how you are. Okay. You know. Okay, cool. Yeah. Right.